this is uh, the tenth week, or tenth week in the series of uh, of Judges. Uh, we started back on the tenth of September, and uh, we've taken every Sunday morning, bar one. Uh, me and David and Johnny were in the states uh, for the eighth of October, and Neville's uh, brother Alan had came to to speak that morning. But apart from that, from the tenth of September. Right till now, we've uh, we've been working through this this book. And so last Sunday we were uh, we we took one Sunday and we went through the book of um, Samson. or went through the story of Samson. Today we're going to look at the at chapter seventeen and eighteen. And next Sunday we're going to we're going to finish we're going to finish this series in chapters uh, 19, 20, and 21, and just summarize what we feel that the Father has taught us through this time um, engaging in this book together. So really quickly, last Sunday, uh, in the story of Samson, there are many things that we said, there's many things that we left out, um, but we looked at... uh, very oft, very uh, rarely do we ever think of Samson's mum and dad as we think of the story of Samson. And, uh, and it was Manoah and Manoah's wife that, that really caught our attention last, last Sunday for a few moments. And, and uh, I just want to remind you really quickly that, that what I think God was trying to teach Manoah, Samson's dad, is the same thing that he's trying to teach us. Because sometimes we approach our, our devotional time, sometimes we approach our, our Bible study, sometimes we, uh, we come looking for more information, we, co- we come looking for another rule, we come looking for another regulation in the same way that Manoah came. Come back again, he said to the Lord. Send the angel back again so we can ask uh, more, for more information, for more regulations. But all along we see that God just wants to reveal himself. He just wants Manoah, Manoah's wife, just to understand who he is. He wants God wants them to, to know his character, to know his nature. And he still he still is longing to do that for us, even this morning. More than he wants to give us information, more than he wants to give us more rules, he wants to reveal himself. And so whenever we want more information, I want to remind you that God wants to reveal himself. We, we engaged with the story of Samson, this selfish, immature, sexually addicted, impulsive man. And we, we just wanted to acknowledge and recognize that, that, uh, that the blessing of God or the Spirit of God coming upon Samson was not an endorsement of his lifestyle. It's still the same today. The blessings of God are the gifts. Even the gifts that we see wonderfully in operation are not necessarily an endorsement of lifestyle because it's fruit. It's, f- this, it's the fruit of the Spirit that is the proof of growth. The fruit of the Spirit that is an indicator of, um, of growth. And we used a couple of examples. We talked about prayer. We talked about living in community as other indicators of growth. And then we finished up the story of Samson by, by suggesting that uh, in other times in the story, we've seen the parallels with the story of Jesus, and none more so than in the end of his life. 
And in the end of his life, Samson, he, uh, he destroyed more of the enemy than he did in his lifetime. And we said it was a pale shadow. It was a shadow of Jesus who, whose greatest victory over his enemy was in his death. And last Sunday, last Sunday as we brought our, as we brought our time to a close, I really felt that the Lord was just in, trying to encourage us with the verse uh, with the verses around 21, 22 and chapter 16. And, and the enemy was taunting. The enemy was mocking. Samson had lost his vision. He'd taken out his eyes. He'd lost vision. He was being mocked and taunted by the enemy. And we just wanted to encourage those that felt like that last week. And maybe again, even this morning, you feel like you, you have no vision. You've lost a sense of direction where you're going. You feel like you're being taunted by the enemy. But the, the verse said, but the hair in his head began to grow. We just felt like last Sunday that, this, that even though you can't see it, it's hard to see hair growing back. It's hard to even feel hair growing back. But the hair in the head began to grow back. And the strength was coming back. And we wanted to encourage you with that last, uh, last Sunday morning. So this morning, uh, we're, going into, we're going to look at Judges chapter 17 and 18. I want us to read Judges chapter 7, 17. And then I'll try to summarize chapter 18. But just to say this, if I can say this, on Friday morning we, uh, we, we were praying together at the castle, which we do every Friday morning. Everybody, you're always welcome to join us at 9.30. And John, John shared with us about, um, about the importance of memory, the importance of, uh, of, how, of, of how we exercise our memory. And uh, we see it so many times. We've seen it as John took us through Hebrews 11. It was a, re- it was a recollection of of the story. We see it then, we even see it in Acts 7, isn't it? The story of Stephen, where Stephen just begins to, to recall the story right from the, right from the beginning. We see it in the psalmist. The psalmist a few times just takes us through the whole story, reminds us of the story. I think it's Psalm 70, 73 or 74. But I was just struck whenever, as uh, I've been thinking after John shared on Friday morning about what Paul encouraged the the Corinthian church with in First Corinthians chapter ten, he said, "All of this stuff has been has been has been written down. All these stories have been penned. They've all been they've all been given to you in such a way that they would serve as a warning. They would serve as a warning that you don't fall into the same traps that they fell into, that you would not make the same mistake that they the same mistakes that they made." And I think that's why the story, that, that going, us engaging with this book, us going back and saying, fully engaging with this story is really important. Because as Paul said to the church in Corinth, you need, to, you need to remember the story. You need to think back. This has all been put down for you for a reason. This is just not a few nice Bible stories to fill up your Sundays. This serves as a warning. This serves as a reminder that you don't make the same mistakes, that you don't fall into the same traps. And so as we come, as we went through this story, this downward spiral, it's not even going around in a circle. It's a downward spiral. And we watch the religious life of God's people and we watch the moral life of God's people. And it's not as it should be. Make sure, I'm sure that we, as we've went through this series, you know that by now, this is not as it should be. But the difficulty is, it is all too easily how it could be. And especially as we come to the last five chapters of this book. The last five chapters of the book of Judges, Yahweh is barely mentioned. 
the covenantal name of God is barely mentioned in the last five chapters. And it shows us, it's a picture to us, it reveals to us what happens when he's taken out of the picture. When God is removed from the picture, this is what can happen when we are left to our own resources, when we are left to our own devices. And this is what it begins to look like. The next two Sundays will begin an insight into what it looks like when God is taken out of the picture, when we are left to our own devices. See, we've had the, it's almost been over the last number of weeks, we've had this, we've had this overview. We've had this, almost, I suppose, like a bird's eye view as we've looked and seen the Israelites that did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They were oppressed, but the Lord raised up for them a deliverer. And, uh, and that cycle has continued. But here, these last five chapters, we're getting a ground level view. We're, get, we're walking with a few stories to see what it was really like. What did this really look like on, on the ground? What is it really like when you take God out of the picture? So let me read chapter 17. Now, a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. Then his mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a cast idol. I will give it back to you. So he returned the silver to his mother and she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who made them into the image and the idol and they were put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and some idols and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. The theme, really the theme of the, these last five chapters. Verse 7, a young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, who had been living within the clan of Judah, left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, live with me and be my father and priest, and I'll give you ten shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man was to him like one of his sons. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. Let me share just a couple of things from this and then we'll go on to chapter 18 um, years ago before, I, before me and Nicola turned 18 we all, mum and dad had a caravan in Port Rush and uh, we always now that we're, now that we're children we're, now that we have children we're so cross to give it up but anyway <laughs> that's, for, that's, for my, that's my own issue that I have to deal with um, but we would have went, we would have been there every, like, we would have went any time we could, Easter time, summertime, we always would have went. And, uh, and I always loved it. I always loved it because uh, we, every time, whenever we were home, every time the doors of the church were open, because mum and dad were in church leadership, granddad and granny were pastor in a church, every time the doors of a church opened, we had to go. 
And I liked that. It was all right whenever you're young enough. But then you get to, you get to 12 and 13 and 14, your mum and dad, you're dragging at every prayer meeting and meeting that there is. And uh, that's why I love when we got to holidays, because whenever we went to holidays, it's not that, it's not that mum and dad said that we're not... Sunday, Sunday came, we still had to, there still had to be an acknowledgement of Sunday. But I loved it because we could, we could do our own thing. We just suited our own personal preference. My memory's rubbish, but I sort of have a, quite a, a, a bit of recollection of that. Nicola could probably tell you exactly what happened. And uh, we designated the rules. The, the Bible reader for the morning was, was Nicola, and the worship leader was Mum. And, and uh, I, tr- I, tried to be, I tried to take up the collection, but that wasn't. Uh, they weren't, weren't buying that. But it just became, it just became whatever suited. It, just, it was good. We just had, we had church. It was this homemade, homemade church. And it was good. And it was fun, and uh, and I present that lightheartedly because I, I was just remembering it um, this week. Because, but it's it's not as lighthearted here. It's slightly more concerning in this story. Because this is this is the the dangers of homemade religion. We see it played out in this story, homemade religion, and being and, and creating something suiting. Suiting, wrapping everything around to suit our own preferences and doing whatever we feel is right in our own eyes. And it's becoming really common. And we see it. We see it so often in the world that we live in. The culture that we live in is, is one of this is what I believe. And we, there's this mishmash of ideas, this mishmash of thoughts. And, and, and we do whatever we see is right. We do whatever we feel like. We do whatever suits our own preferences. We've created this homemade understanding of life in general. But I don't know if you've seen it, but there's times where I've seen it sneaking into the church. That even our churches, that even our denominations, even our, especially the non-denominations, God forbid, have ended up making their own homemade religion suiting their own preferences and doing whatever just feels right it beca- it's become in some ways a bit of a free-for-all but the scary thing for me is this this is a picture of what happens when we take god out of the picture this is what happens when we begin to ignore his voice this is this is the, the last five chapters we are seeing what how what plays out when we dismiss his promise. As we are engaging with these these three characters in chapter 17, and it is such a strange story. Micah's mum, somebody has stolen her fortune, somebody has stolen her money, and she doesn't know who it is, and her son overhears her calling down a curse on the one who stole her money stole her silver and it causes him to panic and he comes clean comes to his mum and says mum it was me that took your silver and then the mum's response is so strange so she 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 turns to him and says blessed are you and gives him the resources to create a an image that he can place install in their their house so Micah creates, has this shrine, has this image placed in his house and then installs one of his sons 
as a priest. It's all a bit strange and we are introduced to the, to the Levite a few verses later. And the sad thing for me is I've been reading through this story over, over the last week or so is that there is no depth. There is no depth in any of the characters in this story. There's no substance. See, what Micah has done, and this is what really able to sense this morning as I was praying, that, that Micah has, has, is worshipping a comfortable God. Suited to his own preferences. Made in whatever image that he wanted it to be made. Placed at his own house, his own son as, as a priest. And he's worshipping a comfortable God, but it's also a non-existent one. And so I was trying to remember who, who it was that coined the phrase that, that God made man in his own image and then man returned the favour. That we then created him in our image. We created and fashioned him in whatever way that we that made us comfortable. And so if, if we, these, these people in this story, and for us that are familiar with, with the Bible, you'll know and you'll be able to agree with me that obedience to God was central to the story. Obedience to Yahweh. Obedience to this covenant-making God was central. How to worship. How to worship the way that they would approach Yahweh, how to worship was central. And so we have the obedience to God. We have we have how to worship, the way that we worship, the way that we come before Him. This was central to the journey of God's people. But now it has become an option. It has become an optional extra. And that is that is so painful. It's really painful because as I, what I do, and you'll know by now that as I, I engage with this. I, I, rather than me casting all of the ridicule and judgment on Micah and his mum and the Levite, I'm trying to engage with this as personally as I can. And before I, before I rush too far in condemning these characters in this story, I, I'm wanting to come back to that place where God, obedience to your voice, obedience to your commands, obedience to what you've revealed, the way that I worship, how I offer, what I offer, how much of me that I offer is so central to the journey of becoming more like Jesus. But sometimes, sometimes along the way, I've made it an optional extra. I've made the, the call to love my neighbor as myself an optional extra. I've made the call that I would that I would pray for my enemies, that I would bless those who persecute me. I've made that an optional extra. We're all along obedience to the commands of God, to the voice of God was central. How I worship that he that he longs and we've seen it the whole way through this. He this he's longing for all of us. Not that we would not that our worship of him would coexist with the worship of idols, but that he longs for our all. Love so amazing demands my soul, my life, my all. And that's what he longs for. 
that it would that everything would be laid down, that that it would sacrifice it all and and offer it all to Him. That's the worship that He requires. It's the worship that He that He longs for, and I've made it. So there's times where I make make it an optional extra. Jesus, I'll give you, I'll give you this much, but I'm not. I'm going to hold on to this little bit. I've made it. Can so easily make it an optional extra. And so, what happens? What has happened in this in this story? Again, it's really difficult because I'm so challenged, and I see how Micah is, has convinced himself because he's used the right he's used the right religious tools, he's used the right religious language, he's used all the right religious regalia, but he's, disguised, he's the idol is disguised. He's disguised his idol with with religious jargon. He's disguised the idol with what looks like righteousness. He's cloaked the, the, the selfish ambition. His ambition, his selfish ambition is cloaked in a form of godliness. And I'm telling you, I'm, I wrestle with that this week because it's so easy to, to, to cloak our idols with a form of godliness. It's so easy to wrap those idols and those selfish ambitions with the with religious jargon and the right language and the right stuff. It's painful. Sometimes the longer you're in the church, it becomes easier to do that. It becomes easier to use the right language. It becomes easier to disguise the idols and the, and the things that are going on in you with a form of godliness. See, the Levite was, the Levite was just as bad. In some ways, I think, maybe worse because here is one who is part of the tribe of Judah came from Bethlehem in Judah and he just went wandering and and as I thought of as I thought of the Levite wandering I thought is there a parallel you're trying to you're trying to see is there is there something else that we can engage uh, with here thought of Abraham and how Abraham went, he set out from his hometown. He set out from the place that he knew and, and was heading to an unknown destination. Abraham. And I thought, is, it, is this the same thing? But it's completely not. Because this Levite was, was heading out, and I think he was heading out for comfort. See, as we read the story, as we see, as we read more of the story of this Levite in chapter 18, we see one who has no passion for God. There's no passion for God. There is no sense of the calling of God. There is no sense of responsibility. There's no burden of responsibility. And so Abraham, love the story of Abraham. Abraham set out to this unknown destination, not knowing where he was going, but fully trusting in the one who had called him. Passionate burning with passion to see the promises of God fulfilled through this through him. Full of passion, full of a sense of calling, full of a burden of responsibility. It's the opposite as we look at this other wanderer, this wanderer that comes and eventually through chance or whatever you want to call it, stumbles across, stumbles across this, this man, Micah. a commentator has said that concerning the Levite that he is following the path of least resistance and again as I've said as we 
as we begin to look into chapter 18, we see that he is one that is driven entirely by self-interest. He's driven entirely by self-interest. And we just acknowledge verse 13 again. Micah said, he got it all. He got the image. He got installed in his house. He now had a Levite. He now had a proper priest in, installed in his house. And then he says, I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. And again, before we rush into condemning Micah, we want to ask you to think through the differences maybe between religion and, uh, and relationship, or religion and faith. Because I think this last verse illustrates something of the purpose of religion, our understanding of religion. This is the understanding that Micah had. Now that I've got all of this in place, now that I'm using all the right language, now that I've got the right people in place, now God will be good to me. He's bound to me. And so that's what religion does. It gets God to serve you. And so you'll, you'll do the right things and you'll say the right things and you'll come to the right meetings and all of that with the understanding that God, you've, you've marked my card, you've marked my attendance sheet, you've marked my devotional record. And because of all of that, you're bound to bless me. Now you're bound to be good to me. And that's the purpose of religion. That's what religion does. The opposite of that is, the, is, is, is faith. It's relationship. And it's the full-on opposite. Because the purpose of faith, the purpose of relationship, is to get your heart to serve him. To get your heart to serve him. And, this, and again, I, I have even in conversation this week, sort of battling some of these thoughts out. I thought to myself about what it, why I came to faith, what keeps me on this journey. And increasingly, I can say with confidence, it's because of who he is. It's because of his nature. It's because of his character. It's because of who he has fully revealed himself in Jesus. And it's why I continue to serve him. It's why I continue to love him. But I know that there's been parts of the journey. I know that I can go back to different stages of my journey and I've it's been because of what I get out of it. Sometimes it's been because of what I get out of it when I die. That's religion. That, that the purpose of religion is to get in God to do whatever it is that you want, to get in something out of it for yourself. But the purpose of relationship, the purpose of faith is that it's because of who he is. I don't need any other reason. It's not, if I get out of hell, that's, that's a bonus, but it's all because of who he is. All because of his nature. All because of his worth. All because of his beauty. All because of his excellence. All because there's none like him. All because there's, he's no equal. All because there's, he's no rival all because of his kindness, all because of his mercy, his grace. And so, this is part of me feel sorry for Micah. Because he, do, this, he doesn't seem like an evil man. This doesn't seem, this doesn't seem that he is 
there's an evil bone in his body. There doesn't seem like any sense of evil. But that's that's uh, that's the thing. Rather than rather than sin making us evil, it just makes us hollow. And that, and, and you know that you know so many people that, that that don't yet know Jesus, and not an, not a bad bone in their body. I'm sure you've said used that language. No no evil within them. But the problem is that rather than sin making us evil, it can just make us hollow. It can just make us directionless. It can, it can make us passionless. In some ways, that's even, that can be just as bad. That can be just as restricting to the call to follow, the call to give it all up for the sake of knowing him. In chapter 18, starts out with in those days Israel had no king and we're still we're still with the tribe of the of the Danites and again there's some parallels here and we don't have we don't have time to go into them but it takes us back to numbers 13 and 14 I think it is where where Joshua sends the spies out he sends the 12 out and that's something like what's going on here the 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 Danites send five warriors out to spy the land there were these men were represented in all their clans that told them go explore the land and so they went and again whether it was by chance or whatever you think of that they ended up at the house of Micah they came near Micah's house and somehow don't know how but they recognized the voice of the young Levite and they began to inquire of him and so Micah's not mentioned all of the engagement here is with the the Levite and they asked the Levite to inquire is our journey going to be successful the, the priest the Levite priest answers and says yeah the, it's going to be going peace because your journey has the Lord's approval and so the man went and found um, went and found territory that was just perfect there was an unsuspecting people there was a spacious land and that was the land that they spied out, that they spotted, that they were going to take for themselves. And then, whenever they came back, with whenever they came back, they gave the report, and then the whole tribe began to make their way to this land. And on their way, they went back past Micah's house, and they took the Levite with them. And here we see this Levite driven by self-interest. He wasn't interested in anything else but himself. He wasn't interested in anything else but the comfort of the journey his own status boosting his own status and so they take the carved image they take the ephod they take all the household goods and the cast idol and they leave with the priest and then we have Micah Micah comes and, and finds him leaving don't know where he was or what he was doing but Micah arrives in the scene and he goes after the Danites who have taken who have taken his his stuff, his idols, his images, and his priest. And he approaches them and he realizes soon after, following along, that their threats are too much. The amount of them are too big. They're too vast, they're too strong. And he turns around and he goes back home. And the Danites go and they take the land from this unsuspecting people. And they rebuilt that city and they settled there. In the final couple of verses, 
tell us that they continued to use the idols that Micah had made all the time, while all the time the house of God was in Shiloh. It's really quickly, it's really important actually to quickly turn back or just to mark Judges chapter 1 verse 34. And so this is where we started, this is where we started with 10, 10 or 11 weeks ago. After the death of Joshua was how we started this series in Judges. And Joshua had all the tribes, all the people ready to go and take the promised land. Go and walk in your inheritance. Go and walk in the destiny that God has has given. And we find out all the stories of the tribes. And we get finally to the Danites in verse 34. And the Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country. Not allowing them to come down into the plain. I think that's important for us as we as we think through a couple of things in this in this in chapter eighteen. Don't know how many how long ago it was, but here is a here is a tribe that have not moved from the confinements. The enemy has kept them confined to, to one little part of the land and they've never walked in their promise. They've never fully trusted. They've never fully obeyed. And I think years later, this is, this is the consequence of not obeying, of not walking in faith, of not trusting him. This is what happens when we live in a place of fear, when we live in a place of isolation, when we live in a place that is so far from promise. And we begin to see how far they've fallen. It's, again, it seems quite subtle, but as they approach, uh, as they come and ask the Levite, Please inquire of God to learn whether our journey will be successful. They've, they've removed themselves so far from obedience, from trust, from promise, that they're not even using his covenant name anymore. So if your Bible is anything like mine, which I think most translations are, Lord is the covenant name for God, Yahweh. And it's in block capitals, in, I think, in most of your Bibles, L-O-R-D. And in verse 5, the Danites come to the Levite, come to the priest and say, will you inquire of God? And it seems quite subtle in it. Maybe, I know how long we, we, we ponder that for, or if it's worth too much reflection, but, but it can be subtle. We can, we can get to that place where we don't even realize that we don't know him anymore. They just, they just, don't, they just don't know him anymore forgotten this covenantal God, they've forgotten Yahweh, forgotten him as Lord, and they come with just God. And then the priest answers, and it, and it seems knowing what we know, the little that we know about the priest already, and he tells them to go, your journey has the Lord's approval. I find it hard to, find it hard to stomach that he would have a clue what the Lord approves of. We get on down. There's a couple of things I want to just finish with as we as I try to land this. So verse 24. Verse, one thing, one point in verse 24. And the, last, uh, and the last thing just to conclude. 18 verse 24. As Micah has, has realized that they've taken everything. They've taken all of his idols. Taken all, they've taken the priest away, and he comes, he chases after 
and make a replies to the Danites who ask him, what's the matter with you that you've called out your men to fight? And Micah says, because he's so desperate, Micah is so desperate, he says, you took the gods that I made and my priest and you went away. And then he says this, it's really sad. What else do I have? Here's someone that was part of the people of God, part of the children of God, and his, and his carved image, his sham of an image has been taken away. The ephod that he created has been taken away. The priest that really should never have been installed as a priest is taken away. And he's left with this question, what else do I have? And two weeks ago when, when we were, um, two weeks ago whenever we were in the story of Jephthah, I think. No, we weren't. Two weeks ago, uh, approaching the end of Abimelech's story in Judges 10 and 11, we talked about how idols, idols lead to enslavement. Yeah, that's what we talked about. Idols lead to enslavement. And whether it was whether it was an addiction, whether it was an alcohol or a drug, or whether it was materialism, or whether it was the approval of man, whatever it was, those things that you that you place as an idol, those places that you give your more attention to than anything else, they eventually are the things that enslave you. And then we talked about last week. We talked last week in the in the story of of Gideon as we looked at. Um, whenever he came, he came to approach uh, the men that were enslaved by the Philistines. He came to try and help them find rescue, find freedom, but they didn't want it. They, in fact, ended up handing Samson over to the Philistines. We said last week that now not only has the idols lead to enslavement, but then the, it's almost like this: the pattern continues, the cycle, if you allow that cycle to continue, then... There is, ends up no resistance, no resistance to enslavement. But then this, it feels like this takes it another step further, a disturbing step further, that whenever the idols are taken away, whenever even the thing that has enslaved you is taken away, you're left empty, you're left with, what else do I have? And how painful that Micah has got to that place. Micah, part of, part of the the tribe of, of Benjamin, here he is taking uh, everything else has been taken away, the things that have actually gripped him, the things that are actually slowly destroying him, they've been taken away and he's left with that place, what else do I have? And I can't help but go to John chapter 6. Because in John chapter 6, Jesus, Jesus preaches this crazy message. And at the end of it, we're told that so many of the disciples got up and left. They decided there's no way they could no longer follow him. What he was asking, what he was preaching, what he required of those that would continue to give of, their, of themselves, it became too much and so many of the disciples turned and left. And we have Jesus at the end of John 6 turning to the disciples and saying, now what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to go with them? And Peter says these beautiful words, where else would we go? Where else would we go? To whom else would we turn to? It's you that has the words of eternal life. It is in you that we have all we need. And sometimes it's not until you that Jesus is all that you have that you realize that Jesus is all that you need. 
we love, we, and that's the lesson we want to learn in Micah. I don't know whether Micah ever learned it, but that's what we want to learn from this. We don't want to make the same mistakes. We don't want to fall into the same traps. And so we're saying, Jesus, there's nowhere else that we have to go. There's no one else that we have to turn to. And so when we get to that place, as difficult as it might be, as the journey to that place might be really, might be really bumpy, whenever Jesus is all you have, you discover that Jesus is all that you need. And as we, as we close out, I want to acknowledge that the Levite in this story, I don't know whether, I don't know what, what was going on in the narrator's head as he penned these words, but as we get to the end of Judges chapter 18, we, we are finally told who this priest was. And I don't know whether it was to save embarrassment, I don't know whether it was added on to later, I, I don't know, but here we're introduced to who this Levite was. And it shows that no one is beyond falling. Take heed lest you fall, is what Paul continued to say in 1 Corinthians 10. Take heed lest you fall, it can happen to anybody. And here we're introduced to who the priest is, it's Jonathan, the grandson of Moses. The greatest hero that they had ever known, the greatest hero that that their faith had ever known, and it's his. And Gershom was the son of Moses, and Jonathan the son of Gershom. And it's him. It's him that has wandered so far. It's him that has passionate, passionlessly, that a word, wandered so far away. No sense of calling. No sense of burden. And they continued to use the idols that Micah had made all the time. The house of God was in Shiloh. And here we have personal ambition, personal agenda rears its ugly head again. And so how we started in some ways is how I want to finish as we thought about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that we would not make the same mistake. As we go back to the story of the Danites in Judges chapter 1, my encouragement to you as 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 we try not to fall into the same trap is that we would obey him now. Obey his voice now. Make sure that you walk in obedience now. Trust him now. Trust his promise now. Jenna's been encouraging us with that today. That promise that seems so far away, the fear as I engage with the story in Judges is that if you continue to walk away from that promise, as you continue to allow yourself to have that promise stay too far away, as you allow yourself to continue to, to walk in fear, you end up like the Danites were in isolation. The consequences can be, can be really painful. When I was lying in bed last night, I just remember, was reminded of that casting crown song. It's a slow fade. See, if the Danites didn't just, the Danites just didn't arrive all of a sudden in this place of completely abandoning the voice of God, of completely walking away from his promises completely ignoring the, the way that he had taught them to worship. It didn't just happen. We don't just go from Judges 1 to Judges 19. There's a process. There was a slow fade. In the song, the slow, there's a slow fade when you give yourself away. There's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray and thoughts invade. Choices are made and a price will be paid when you give yourself away. And there will be. Either way, there's going to be a price to be paid. For to those that want to keep on journey and following Jesus, you know there's a price to be paid. But trust me, when, you, when, we, when we walk in disobedience, when we walk far from the promise, when we 
when we decide not to trust, when we decide to do our own thing, there is also a price to be paid. You pay the price for ignoring his voice. You pay the price for worshipping in your own way, doing your own thing, suiting your own preferences. And so as we finish and we, and we worship today, I, as I prayed here this morning before people arrived, I felt like the Lord really highlighted a certain part of Judges chapter 1. I just felt that there's maybe for some of us that there's areas in our lives that need exposed to his kindness. That there's areas in your life that need exposed to his transforming power. And you've kept them hidden for too long. I think the Danites kept it hidden for too long because like us, like some of us, you concede that being confined is the way that it's going to be for you. And that's what we're told about the Danites in Judges chapter 1. They were confined to the hill country. The voice of the enemy, the intimidation of the enemy kept them confined to the hill country. Kept them far from promise. And so it was my sense this morning that there's some that, that feel that, that you're being confined. And you've almost got to that place where you've accepted it. And I just want to say you've accepted it for far too long accepted that place of confinement for far too long. Our encouragement to you is that you wouldn't make the same mistakes. There would be something that would stir within you as we close out in worship. It would cause you to say, I'm going to obey you. It feels like the promise is so far away. It feels like I've removed myself so far from the destiny that he had placed upon my life. But a love with, a love with the Father that he is so committed to his people he is relentlessly gracious he relentlessly pursues and so that offer is, is, is for us today come on trust him trust me walk in obedience nothing to fear don't keep yourself in isolation don't think don't concede that being confined is the way that it has to be So, Father, I pray that you would um, just speak to our hearts. You would challenge our hearts. You would do something within us personally, God. But we're longing, we're, we're believing for us to, for you to do something among us collectively, that the church would be all that you intended her to be. We love you and we bless your name. We honor you. Thank you for what you want to teach us. Thank you for that you just want to keep on revealing your character, your nature to us. We love you for that. In Jesus' name.